hey, good morning, everybody. Glad to see you. Happy uh, week after Easter. I hope you had a, a great time celebrating last weekend. And it's just been a, a week of like reflecting on our freedom and life in Christ and, and that it has given us great momentum uh, in our life. But uh, just interesting thought to start this morning. Uh, who can, like, has anybody ever worked at a grocery store before? These guys have special character that did. I worked at Kroger as my good job. I worked at Kroger as my first job. I was a bag boy. Um, you know, to to get that job at 16, I had to fill out an application. I had an interview. I filled out my paperwork and I got the badge and was told to put on my khakis. Like I got my job at Kroger at 16. I was making 425 an hour. It was awesome. Um, <laughs> so it, at that moment, I became an employee of Kroger. But yet I had to go through training in order to know how a Kroger employee goes about being a Kroger employee. I had to be trained. And so you learned about things like the $10,000 grape. And it's not this exotic grape from some rainforest, but it's the liability of a grape on the ground. And the, the most causes of injuries and lawsuits in grocery stores is grapes. They fall off and people step on them and they tear their ACL. And so it's the $10,000 grape. I had to learn about that. I also had to learn about bagging in Kroger back in 1992-ish, whatever year that was. They were brilliant. And to this day, I can remember this song. It taught me how to bag groceries, and it was a rap song. So if someone could give me a beat, just kidding. But it was like this. It was, you got to build your walls, build your walls, get those boxes and build your walls. And it was a music video. And, I, and so, like, you get your cereal boxes, and you put them around the plastic, and then you put the jars inside. And so I learned. I learned how to be a Kroger employee. I learned the code of ethics, all that stuff, what it was to be a part of a union, because I was part of a union, all that stuff. This idea, Kroger had hired me and then had to show me how to be a Kroger employee. This idea sets us up perfectly for today as we continue to study through Romans, and we are coming up to Romans 6, and we're going to look at verses 11 through 14 today. So you'll see, hopefully, how this was not just a random story, but maybe gets us in the right mindset. So instead of doing the typical review of Romans as I have been doing, just kind of giving you the lay of the land and kind of the, the stepping stones Paul's taken us through, I'm going to read a couple of other passages from a couple of other Paul's letters to get us up to speed. These verses summarize what Paul has covered so far in Romans. So before we get to Romans, we're going to look at a couple of passages. They'll be on the screen, um, and you can read along with me. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. So buckle down. It's a little bit longer, so stay with me. It starts off, again, with our great need. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So much like the beginning of Romans, a lot of bad news, a lot of, a lot of our need, a lot of our desperation, a lot of God's judgment and, and the, the wrath in his judgment. But then it says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive 
together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we had a need we could not overcome. God met that need in Christ. We couldn't get there by the law, by the keeping of the commands, but Jesus fulfilled the law and, and therefore gave us his righteousness upon our belief and our faith, and we're made, we're made righteous. We are redeemed. We are saved, and that's the work of grace. And we talked last week about what it was to die a death like Jesus and therefore to live a life in Christ. We experienced his death and his resurrection. We talked, I mean, this, this is the beauty of the gospel and, and this this overarching just theme has been bringing us to an exploded view of God's grace for us. And it should bring us to the point of asking, as we saw last week, of, well, why then do I need to try anything at all? Why should I, why should I pursue to live a holy life? And he's saying, because it's who you are, because who you are has been so drastically changed and overtaken by the work of Christ that it wouldn't make sense anything otherwise. So this is where we're at. We're continuing. Paul tips his hand here in Ephesians uh, 2.10 of kind of where we're heading today, um, and it's to walk in the good works we were created for, and this is to willfully pursue a life of holiness, the holiness of God, the, the living out the image of God, a life like Christ, and motivated all for the glory of God. So this is kind of where we've come from, come from through Romans, and uh, if you haven't already, go ahead and open your Bibles to Romans 6. I'm going to pray for us, and, and then we're going we're gonna to get through this. I'm excited about it today. God, you are good, and we thank you, Lord, that you are good. Lord, you are perfectly all that you are. Lord, you are, you are all love, you are all grace. You are all mercy. You are all just justice, Lord. You are, you are perfect in all of your ways. None of how you are has to be diminished to express all that you are, God. So, Lord, I thank you for that. I thank you, Lord, that in your grace, you made provision for us to know peace, to be whole and redeemed in Christ. Lord, in your grace, you sustain us. Lord, in your love, you gave us the Holy Spirit to speak your love and favor in our hearts. So, Lord, let us come now to see what this life lived for you looks like and, and, and how we can do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, if you don't have a Bible, of course, stuff will be on the screen. There is a Bible under a chair near you. If you need a Bible, please take that with you. That's our gift to you. And we also use the YouVersion Bible app, the live events. So if you, go, if you use that app, go to the More tab, click Events. You'll see the Bridge Mantras pop up, and you can follow along there as well. Okay, so Paul has spent so much time showing our great spiritual need. And he spent so much time showing how we could not meet that need, but God met that need and accomplished it. He accomplished this great spiritual work for us by grace, through faith, in Jesus Christ. So now he's like, that's my part. I've done that. I did that in you. I, I achieved it, and I keep it. I did that. But then he turns, and now he's saying, okay, so here's your part. So let's, let's go right quick to Romans 6, just verse 11. 
says this, so you, so you, all those who have confessed and believed in Christ, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. And I mean, I just, I love this verse. It's a, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. What, what is happening? Again, remember where we've come from. Remember what Paul's taken us through of establishing the, the, the magnificence of the work of Christ accomplished for you and in you. So he's saying, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. So just like Kroger, Right? I was made an employee by Kroger, but then I had to be taught how to be an employee. We need help to understand what it is to live out this new identity, this new role that we've been given in Christ, this new reality. So God did this work. He made us that he deemed us his, given us a new name, a new identity. And now he's saying, now let me show you how you live this out. Let me show you how to be. Let me show you what you are. He says, so you also must consider yourselves. Do you realize who he's contrasting? So he's saying like, so that's a, that's a statement of contrast. Who is he contrasting you against? Saying you must consider yourself. Who, who is he saying already considers you that way? It's not the Pharisees. It's not the religious leaders. It's not your brother or sister, your mom or dad is saying, hey, God, the heavenly father, the creator, the sovereign one, the king already considers you that way. Because of Jesus, because of by grace, through your faith in him, he considers you dead to sin and alive to Christ. He's saying God considers you this way. Now you must as well. Again, the salvation is complete, but now it's about the way you live it out. The internal work, the eternal work is done, but yet there is a work day to day a life day to day that we are to live in the flesh, that we partake in, that we are responsible for, that he is saying, hey, the linchpin is this. Consider yourself the same way that God considers you. What we're talking about is the pathway to living in freedom and living in joy, and not just the, the, the emotional experience of that, but also the fact that that's the way that we, we are invited to live out our holy purpose, our holy God-glorifying purpose in those postures. It's not just this drudgery and this weight on us. It's like, no, your freedom and joy is contingent on you living out your holy God-glorifying purpose, and this is the way you get to do that. Again, I secured you. Now, here's how you get to live out. So this pathway, as we see, as we're going to see, is not just through our hearts. It's not just, it is our hearts. God says, I'm going to take your heart of stone and make it one of flesh. I'm going to make you, give you a whole new name. As we just saw in Corinthians, the old is gone, the new has come. We were dead, now we're alive. So it's not just through our hearts, but it's also through our minds. Romans 12, 2 says this, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect. So we see the transforming of the mind again as a part of our joy, and it's also a part of our glorifying God in this life. He wants our hearts and our mind, and he is working to restore and transform them. So you see, what we see here is how we see ourselves matters. Consider, you must consider yourself. You must, you must reckon it to be so is what Paul is saying. You must consider yourself as God does, dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. So how we see ourselves matters. Paul is saying we must see 
that we are dead, but we were we are dead to sin, right? Both to its penalty and its power, as we talked about last week. And we are alive in Christ, both in His freedom and power for life. This is identity stuff. It really is. We spend all kinds of time trying to to get to know ourselves. That's like just such a so such a conversation for today, like the whole, like, get in touch with who you are. We got to learn to love yourself, right? And, and, and that sounds good, and it, and it probably has some roots of truth to it, right? Because we should value who we are because God created us as we are. We are created in his image. So it is not to say, hey, let's just hate ourselves, but it's saying that the, the pathway to freedom and joy and purpose is not through just learning to love myself and, that, and being about me. If we're honest, what drives most of these questions is this question of just who am I and what do people think of me? Or maybe if you're a step farther in what seems to be a more mature thing, who, who am I and how can I not care what people think of me? Right? And that's kind of, Psychology Today reports this. I thought it was interesting. It says, according to a recent paper in the Journal of Personality, young adults prefer a boost of self-esteem over sex, food, drinking, and pretty much any other pleasurable outlet. Should they need a pat on the back, there's a smartphone app called iFlatter that will brighten your day, make you laugh, and boost your confidence, regardless of your actual knowledge and skill set. True. (laughs) And it's not just young adults, right? I mean, we know that. Why am I here and what am I worth is a question we all, we all have. We all have this tendency to turn to ourselves first to define truth and define reality. Or if it's not ourselves, maybe we label another thing, our circumstances, and we define the goodness of God or our, or our worth by our circumstances. Paul is calling us past that. He's saying the way to freedom is in knowing what God thinks of you and seeing yourself as he does. Does that shake you, inspire you, humble you, terrify you? The way to freedom is in knowing what God thinks of you and seeing yourself as he does. So getting to know yourself is all about that question, why am I here? What is my worth? So so here's how we rightly understand who we are, right? To know yourself, you need to know your identity. To know your identity, you need to know the one who created you. He created you in his image and restored you by his son, Jesus Christ. In getting to know your creator, you understand more and more what you were created for. That's where purpose, peace, joy beyond any circumstance comes from. Your peace must come from the person and purpose of God. Spend your time getting to know him. He's telling you who you are. He created you out of love, and everything that he created expresses his character, including you. Yes, we have fallen. There is sin. There is brokenness, and it mars the image. And, and I, 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 this thought's been floating around, and I don't know where it fits, so it's going to fit right here. Like, when it comes to the way that we live our life, especially for those who are in Christ, we have a burdened conscience. We think, man, I am just not doing enough. And while there may be truth to that, and I invite you to let God work in your heart and to reveal, I also want to say, grace, remember how we got here through this crazy view of grace that would make us say, how is that possible? How does that make sense? How does that lead to a productive life? But a grace so magnificent that it almost seems unfair 
That's what we're talking about. And so we all have a marred conscience because we all have a marred image. But the way to a freedom of conscience is to recognize the freedom that is in Christ that is given to us by grace through faith. It's like golf. Um, golf, right? How does it like golf? Like who, 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 who gets, well, I'm not going to point, point you out. I play golf with a lot of people, and I have played golf with guys that are no better than I am, and I have broken 100 maybe two or three times in my life. And, and they get out there, and they break clubs, and they throw them, and they yell, and they get mad. And I, and I just came to this realization one day of like, man, if you just know you're going to be bad at golf, golf is a lot more enjoyable. But when you go out there thinking if you play once or twice a year, and you're going to somehow shoot par and be able to make the tour, like it's a horrible day. And so if you just go out there knowing that, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose a whole case of balls, and I'm going to have fun doing it, and I'm just going to have that one good shot that keeps me coming back, like golf is fun. And so again, like because we are fallen people, yes, we are redeemed and restored in Christ. If you've called on him, we are fallen. Like just when we understand grace, and it's not this license. Again, we'll go back to last week. Are we to continue to sin so that grace may abound? No way. So that grace may increase? No way. Because of this. Because we are totally made new, given a new name, a new purpose in Christ. So therefore, go out, rest in grace. Don't let your conscience be burdened any longer because God sees you as whole. He sees you as his because of the work of Christ, not because of your work. So go out there. You're going to stumble. You're going to fall. But let it be a learning lesson. Be humbled, repent, confess, and be renewed once again and be made better for the glory of God and the better at experiencing actually who you are. So it's like golf. I could end right there. Um, it's like golf. Golf and Kroger, big takeaways today. Um, so huh, that was none of that from, from anyway, none of that, the conscious thing to the golf thing is not on my script, not on my uh, notes, but I liked it. So, <laughs> so let's get back into it here. You know, thinking about spending our time getting to know our creator, it calls us to humility, and it calls us to freedom and courage. How often are your prayers and your study just focused on who you are and what your purpose is and how to fix your problems? Again, you're like, Heath, are you contradicting yourself? No, because those things aren't bad. We should be pursuing those things. But if that is the extent of our motivation, then we have missed the first and greatest step. It has to start with who God is. So it's not wrong at all to, God invites us, cast your cares upon me. I care for you. But it's not, but our first point must be who God is, because it is all in who he is that we understand who we are. So we cannot neglect the pursuit of the person of God. His word was given so that we could know him, understand him, and see who we are in respect to that. So, Get in the Word. Share it together. He's giving you the Holy Spirit to illuminate His Word. You're not on your own. Okay, so this is the internal reality of belonging to God in Christ. We see, again, it's complete. It's achieved. We are totally changed. But we saw in Ephesians 2.10 that how we live matters. Our expressed life is largely determined by who we understand ourselves to be. The life that we live outwardly is often determined by who we think and see that we are. 
a life coaching company called Coaching Positive Performance states this, another quote, I like this. It says, what we see is heavily influenced by how we view ourselves. If you truly believe that you can do something, you will find the resilience to persist. You will see opportunities whether others see, where others see problems, and you will see failed attempts as opportunities to learn. The opposite is also true. If you have a negative self-image, you probably doubt your own ability. You will find countless excuses to give up or even to avoid starting. There may be a great opportunity starting, staring you in the face, but you won't see it because you will be too busy looking at the ground. So, all kinds of truth in this. This, is, this person probably thinks they're really smart and they're really just like inching really close to gospel truth, but just kind of looking at themselves instead of actually the way God created us. But the way that we see ourselves often, and I would say always, affects what we live out. Take my wife Amber, for instance. She's not in here. I wish she was because I would be telling this illustration even if she wasn't. She's in the Bridge Kids. If you'd like to volunteer with the Bridge Kids, let Rebecca Owsley know. Um, the kids are awesome, and you would love it, and we need you. Um, but take my wife, for instance, Amber. I, I, I tell you, Amber can sing. I have heard her sing when she doesn't know it. She has a wonderful voice, and she can harmonize, and it's great. But Amber, and I've said this to her face, doesn't think she can sing, so she can't sing. It's just a true, real example, right? So please... Y'all encourage Amber to sing. Tell her, she just everyone tell her, you can sing, you can sing. She's not going to believe you, and who knows if she'll ever. But I just, it would be, it would be wonderful. I would love to see her sing one day. Um, so, but because she thinks she can't sing, she can't sing. I, I sang for a living um, for 12 years, and it was never comfortable for me. And like, literally, before I would get on stage, I would have to like trick myself into thinking I can sing so that I can sing. I was like, well, no, they asked you to come. They paid you to be here. So you can sing, obviously, even if you don't think you can. So get out there and pretend like you've done this before, because you have, and go sing. So anyway, like I get it. But there's also like, let's take it, you know, to another, like if, if someone thinks they're funny, they're funny, or at least they try to be. They do funny things. They say random things, whatever. Let's take it another direction. If someone thinks they're unlikable, they're often unlikable. They act unlikable. I mean, it's positive and negative. I mean, I could give you a lot of examples, but you get it. Like, the way that we see ourselves often affects what we express in our lives. So that's why these next verses that follow, they only follow after Paul has established where our identity lies, that our identity is in Christ not in what we make and not in our circumstances. So, Romans 6, 12-13 says this, Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body. Well, how do we get here? Remember, you must also consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. So then it says, Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Again, I just love these, in these little underlying reminders. You have been delivered from the power and penalty of sin over you. Yes, we still fight the flesh. We still fight sin and temptation. But in that fight, we work 
to give no foothold to sin in our life. We are not under the penalty of sin, but yet we still fight against it. As we stated last week, no one cries out for freedom and victory over sin and and death only to continue to pursue living in in its bondage. That's just so counterproductive to the cry into the work. Paul presents his exhortation here in a negative and a positive of what this new life in Christ, lived out in Christ for the glory of God, looks like. And in the negative we see, he says, do not present your members to sin as instruments of righteousness. In the positive, he says, present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. And when he says members, it's just this idea, it's all that we are. It's not just this, this limited, literal expression of, hey, your hands and your feet, it is all that you are, your life's actions, your, your mind's thoughts, your motives, present all that you are because all that you are has been redeemed and made new in Christ. So present all that you are. Don't present it as instruments uh, for, for sin and unrighteousness. Do present it as instruments for righteousness as, as those who have been brought from death to life. So he brings us to this outward expression of our lives. This call of, 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 of turning from is the picture of repentance. Repentance is to, to not just confess, but also to turn away from 180 degrees, turning to the goodness and holiness of God. So we want to just hammer it home. Paul is saying, God accomplished the eternal work in you through Jesus Christ. You have a work to do as well as you live out your salvation. Again, not to achieve, but to keep. Again, remember how we got here. Your salvation is achieved by the work and grace of God. It is kept by the work and grace of God. But you, as a new creation, have a new way to live, and that's what we're being called to. So we just read Romans 12, too, um, as we were called to, the, you know, to invite it into the transforming of our minds. But just prior to that, in verse 1, Paul compels us to the way of life that comes from being made new. Romans 12, 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Again, seeing the work is done now, live this out. Present yourselves, your life as a living sacrifice. So let's look at this in terms of idolatry. And why do, why do I say that? An idol is anything you turn to instead of turning to God in all that he is and has promised and has accomplished. Anything that, that we surrender or come under the authority of other than God and who he is, what he has promised, and what he's accomplished. Our identity is given by who he is and who he has made us to be. Therefore, to define our identity by anything other than him and what he has done for us is idolatry. So the question today we're going to work out in these last couple of verses is, how do we fight against having idols? 
I like the terminology, how do we kill idols? Because I think it should just be that drastic. We should have this disdain that would lead us to that willingness to do whatever it takes. So how do we fight against having idols? Verses 12 and 13 give us the two active commands, the don't and the do. Don't offer yourself to sin. Do offer yourself to God through obedience and devotion. So thinking about this process of how do we fight against idols is, one, we name them. We name them. We get specific. We, we do that through prayer and through being honest with yourself and, and by getting specific. Prayer, be honest, and get specific. Look at the posture of David in Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. So we come to the Lord in prayer. We humble ourselves, and as, as he reveals, and as we look at our lives, we be honest, and we get specific, so we name them. Next, we confess them. We confess them both to God and to each other. We bring them into the light. We don't give them any space. We have no hidden places. We don't give them any space to, to dwell. Man, we want to drag them out into the courtyard and let them be exposed and let them be seen. James 5.16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So we name them, we confess them, and then we starve them. So, so we see these areas, so we get practical and we be proactive. Get practical and be proactive. Again, take the offense. Oh man, I have some good news coming up in a minute when we get to verse 14. This is really great, but we're going to wait. But get practical and be proactive. So we ask, like, what are the things in your life that compete or replace the work of God accomplished in Christ? What are those things? God is our comforter. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He brings peace. He brings shalom. It's complete. God is our refuge. He's our security. God is our satisfaction, our pleasure. He is our belonging. He's made us his own. He, he works in power, and he's given us the power of the Holy Spirit. He is our shelter. The list could go on, but you see, in those words, we see so many things in our life that, that compete for that, that we turn to for our comfort, our refuge, our escape, our security, our pleasure, our belonging. So thinking about how we starve them, you know, if, it's, if stewardship is an idol, if the way that you, you, you handle money, if you, if, you, if you spend it as soon as you get it, just to have this sense of, of either, either power or worth or control over your life, or if you hoard it out of fear. Again, what are some practical and proactive opportunities? First, get help. Maybe you just have never been told. And then go get a budget. Cut up your credit cards Give generously, joyfully, and sacrificially, like just some very practical things as you starve them. Or if it's pornography, pray. Get someone in the trenches with you. Get software on every device. And maybe if, if need be, if it's this extreme, go analog. Like get rid of it. Again, what's worth it? If you end up in meaningless or compromising sex, often stop going to the clubs or entering into situations you know you'll be given opportunity. Again, just the practical, starve them. Put up the pins in your life. Let's, I mean, is it worth it? Yes, it is. Not just because you feel better, but because it's who you are. I mean, peace comes with congruence. If you want inner peace, live out who you are. 
And if you're trying to, trying to live joyfully and peacefully without Christ, you're never going to have peace because that's incongruent. If you have been made new in Christ and you're allowing for sin in your life, if you're making, if you're making accommodations for sin, you're never going to have peace because that's incongruent to who you are. <clears throat> so we starve them. Get practical. Be proactive. And then, so we've named it, we've confessed them, we've starved them, now replace them. You're like, what? Okay, replace them. And, and, and if you've been around church, and especially some certain streams, this may sound like kind of generic, just generic religiosity, where it's like, well, hey, if you're tempted to get drunk every, every, every night, well, don't go to the club you know, sit, or the bar, make sure to go home and do your devotion. I mean, that sounds great, but really, like, what are you, is, there, is that really, like, digging into the truth and heart of God and what he's invited us to in this relationship? It's, it's much more than that. I mean, that's probably a part of it, like we said, but the opportunity is much deeper and much more personal, much more personal. That's the beautiful thing. So to replace them is to dwell on the completed work of Christ. If you've ever heard us say, we have to not only preach the gospel, the good news of Jesus to the world, we have to preach it to ourselves every day. This is what we're talking about. This is how you do that. So when you identify your idol and what aspect of God's redemption you are turning to a lesser deliverer, a lesser redeemer to, you can actually have focus to your fellowship with God. You can actually have a real conversation. You can actually have a target. If you seek power and greed, and that is your sense of satisfaction, you're invited to dwell on the power and majesty of God and his satisfying love in Christ. Just like the writer of Hebrews calls us to in Hebrews 13.5, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, and I love that this is the answer to like greed. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Like Again, the promise is in the person of God. We're, see the theme here? It's, con, it's, con, it's consistent. If you feel you have no purpose in this life and, and you, you seek to find meaning in the temporal things of this world, you can find the heart of God as he created you. Psalm 139, 13 through 16. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret and intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance and your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. So to replace them is not just to go do some religious behavior. It is actually dig into the heart of God expressed in the giving of his son, Jesus, so that you could be atoned for, so that you could be redeemed, so that all that you need could be satisfied. That's the promise. So we name them, we confess them, we starve them, and we replace them. Talking about having no other God besides God. He is our satisfier. He is our deliverer. He is our refuge. So we live out our identity given in Christ. We fight the fight of, against idols. We kill them, you know, the idols of our life by, by doing these things that we said. So to wrap up, I said I got some good news coming up, right? Paul brings us back to grace. Romans 6.14 says, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Do you understand what that's saying? Grace is just so clear. 
Paul is not saying, hey, don't offer yourself to unrighteousness and do offer yourself to righteousness so that sin will not have dominion. He's not saying that. It's not causal. He's not saying do this so that sin will not have dominion. He is saying that you can do this because sin no longer has any dominion over you. It has no longer has no longer has any claim over you. It no longer has any power over you. It no longer has any penalty over you because all of that was taken care of in Christ. Sin is no longer your identity. Talk about our marred conscience. It's no longer your identity. Yes, it's an activity of our lives. We will sin. We will come up short. God is not surprised. He is not. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While he knew that we would continue to sin and continue in the same posture of, of rebellion and self, self-deliverance in his love, he sent Jesus to save us. So sin is no longer identity. It is only an activity of your life. You will never be sinless in this life, but because God is re- re- transforming us and sanctifying us, we can expect to sin less. Yeah. To be under the law, as we see here, is to be redeemed by means of the law. As we saw, it is to keep it perfectly, which we cannot do. To be under grace is to be redeemed by the means of grace, secured in Jesus Christ, credited to you upon your belief. So Paul is calling us to set all of our energy and motives and, and, and goals for the glory of God, living out this holy life full of joy and purpose in Christ. Again, God is not against our effort in our salvation. He is against our earning it because Jesus did it. You're fully accepted by God in Christ. You are fully made new, given a new name, a new home, a new eternal destiny, a new purpose. God did that in Christ Your part is to live as though you are free because you are. You are. We do that through knowing him, having no other God but him. So I want to invite us as we step into this opportunity of of having God reveal the, the, the wayward longings and motives that we have bringing us into fullness, this, this work of killing, digging out idols. I want to invite us to do that together. Again, part of it is bringing them to light. You need brothers and sisters by your side. We talk a lot about community at the bridge. We have a beautiful, wonderful, vibrant community, but it is not just about being nice people to each other and having people you enjoy hanging out with. Yes, part of God's full joy Fullness of joy is living in this gospel community, but is also part of our being made more like him. We need one another for that. It is never the community is never the goal, the glory of God is, but yet the community is a vehicle in which God achieves this work. So let's let's keep it in order, glory and person of God, but let's do it together. And so let's let's fight for one another. Let's advocate for one another. Let's not just be behavioral modification people for one another, requiring people to do the work only the gospel can. But let's do commit to come alongside one another. Let's commit to be vulnerable in bringing all these things into the light so that we could know a greater reality of freedom and God could receive all the glory.
So call each other to freedom. Step in. If you see something, say something. <laughs> right? We are invited to live out who we have been made in Christ. Let me pray. God, we are grateful. We love you, Lord. We thank you that you overcame our great need that we could not on our own. We thank you that you have not just given us new responsibilities, but you've given us a new name. And Lord, I just pray right now as we continue to worship and respond, I pray that uh, as, we, as we take communion that we would, we would reflect well on the work of Christ, that he willingly and lovingly laid down his life for the joy set before him so that we could be redeemed and God could be glorified. So Lord, continue to lead us. Let our, our life be for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.